0: The last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper.
1: And so for today's Culture Club, we decided that actually one of our favourite contributors over many years on The Last Word would be great to have telling us about all of her choices when it comes to the arts. So, joining us from Savannah, Georgia, where she's on her travels and her work at present for the Business Post, we have our US correspondent, Marion McKeown, doing the Culture Club today. How are you, Marion? I'm very well, Matt.
2: Good to talk to you.
1: No, it's absolutely typical of you that when we asked you to nominate things like your favourite album or your favourite band or artist, instead of giving us one, some people give us two or three because they're spoiled for a choice. You've managed to give us about 20 in every individual <laughs> category.
2: Uh, you know, music was the whole like literally as teenagers and, and, and onwards, it was all about music. It was live music. It was albums. It was your favourite band. It was, you know, it, it, it consumed most of my misspent youth, I'd say. It was consumed by music. So sorry about that. <laughs>
1: OK, well, let's start, though, with the first single you ever bought. We're going to play it and then you can tell us about it. This is Steve Harley and the Cockney Rebel. Is that (laughs) Marion?
2: Well, I bought it when I was 11 and I thought it sounded great. it was the first single I ever bought I I think I was going into sixth class or in sixth class or whatever and we at that stage it it was at a stage when you were just allowed into town or maybe you didn't even tell your parents you were going into town on the bus and there was a the record shop was Murray Records up in um, on Grafton Street where also Captain America was where you also didn't tell your parents you were going and uh, we we used to go in there and we all had even at the age of 11 or 12 we knew that we were that they were all way cooler than us but I remember hearing that song on the radio and thinking I have to buy that and, uh, and going in with my I think it was £125, one twenty £1.25 pound twenty five or whatever and buying it and being delighted, first single Judy so, Teen it was <laughs> called <laughs> It was called Judy Teen and I still think it doesn't sound that bad <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ok favourite album, you gave us albums by Stone Rose's Pulp Merle Haggard, Johnny Cash Sam Cooke, Prince George Michael, Graham Parsons Emily Lou Harris any Hank Williams, The Clash, Injury, Nick Cave, <laughs> Rihanna, Alabama Three, Blondie, The Jam, Radiohead, Eminem. But we are actually decided to ask you about the Pogues because I know you have a close relationship to the Pogues, don't you?
2: Uh, yeah, we uh, we all are. Uh, we all did. In fact, I still do knock around together. For oh my god, it must be thirty years. Uh, so, so yeah, there were a lot of Pogues concerts uh, in there. Uh, in, in in the favourite concert section. Uh yeah, um I I god, I can't even remember how we met first. It was in London anyway, and, and we all became very good friends and shared houses. And in fact, uh Shane and Victoria lived in my house in South Circular Road for about five years. Um when was that? God, that was in the mid 2000s sometimes. Excellent tenants have to say, Shane more so than Victoria. <laughs> she set she set the house on fire. <laughs> What? <laughs> Indeed, yes. She <laughs> won't thank you for mentioning it. But uh, but uh, the, no, we've, we've all, as I said, we've known each other for a long time. So, um, And it was kind of interesting to see when the Pogues were starting out, which was the early 80s. And there were several uh, previous incarnations of Shane and Spider in various bands. And, and, uh, and the, the excitement, I think, at, at Pogues gigs, when they were good, when they were bad, they were terrible. There was nothing worse. But equally... Um, a, a good uh, Pogues concert was just the most sort of exhilarating thing because you never knew what was going to happen, and you know it's weird because back in the in the sort of early eighties when you know I was a teenager going into my twenties, and and there, there was um, there was always violence at concerts it was sort of a given because there was a lot of punk music there was a lot of it wasn't surprising at all and you know at Pogues concerts people would be hugging each other one minute and punching each other the next and and there was a great but I think it—it it, all the excitement of the live music was one thing but the songs I mean you know Shane really is a a master songwriter. and he's Yeah, that's always because you quite...
1: nominated this Rum Sodomy and The Lash as one of your favourite albums. Yeah. So if, yeah. if the Pogues meant so much to you as a live act because of the energy that they generated, but was there still something like At Home you would put the album on because the music was still very important to you?
2: Oh yeah, I, and you know, I think, as I say, as a songwriter, and and you know, all of the the albums, I think, capture the sort of the, the anarchy, but also the skill and the, and the intellect, and 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 just the ability to to write beautiful music, the the melodies, and the and just the the diversity as well, where you could have something like Turkish Song of the Damned, and which is just this bizarre Summer in Siam, you know. Um, the, 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 there's a great breadth to Shane's work, but I think. His lyrics just stand on their own. They really do. And he's always been quite self-effacing about it. And I remember him saying to me once, well, you know, it's just in the air. And if I don't write it, someone else is going to grab it. I remember him saying once, Ronan Keating's going to grab it (laughs) and write it. You know, so, I mean, there's there's a, a he was always just felt that it was. The songs were there and he just managed to tune into the frequency and, and put them on paper or on a, on a a beer mat, as frequently happened. And and uh, I remember in, in a pub in London one time, um, Molly Malone's in Islington being there and, and Shane was there. And Nick Cave, who's also a great songwriter, and they're very, very good friends. And Shane would scribble things on beer mats and then just leave them there, chuck them on the ground and Nick would pick them up and go, Jesus. <laughs> but like, You know, these, these are songs. And, and again, I always remember Shane saying, if it's any good, I'll remember it. You know, so there was a very, he had a very casual approach, I think, although he was very disciplined in a lot of ways, Whereas Nick Cave, I think, still goes to an office, you know, and, and works for six hours or eight hours every day and treats it like a, a nine-to-five job almost, you know. So there was a, a difference between how they approached their work. But as, as I said, both both terrific songwriters.
1: Well, actually, let's hear a little bit from Rum, Sodomy and the Lash. This is The Pogues and Sally McElaine. Well, Jimmy Glyde, our man again,
3: the pop where I was born. He played it from the night to the pace of the early morn. He served the souls of psychos and the men He didn't like his place in this world of ours Pretty Album other man brought strong he had too many powers So I sad to see the grieving of the people that I'm leaving And he took the road for God knows in the morning We walked into the station in the rain We kissed him as we put him on the train To I took the cheers and drank the prayers and crawled back home and done. I ended up a barman in the morning. I tried the pump and took the hump and walked the whiskey down. I talked the boys and horses to the And I drank the brown. I heard the sight of Jimmy's making money far away. Some people left for heaven with
1: Okay, there's the Pogues from Rough Sodomy and the Lash. We asked you for the best gig you were ever at, and I say you have been at hundreds at least. And Oof, there's yeah. a list here of the likes. Of, well, do you want to take us through some of the lists you provided to us?
2: Okay, you know, I think the first most memorable one was, and again, I think I was in the second or third year in school, so I hope my dad isn't listening. <laughs> anyway, too late now. Uh, it, uh, it was the Clash and the Virgin Prunes at the Top Hat and Dunleary. And it was like we were school kids, and and we we went to this, and you know it's it's it it was incredible because first of all Gavin Friday who's so phenomenally talented and 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 um and Googie were on stage. I think Googie was wearing a gold lamé mini skirt. I don't know if Gavin Friday was wearing anything besides a pair of Doc Martens, and they got bottled off the stage again. There was this weird thing at punk concerts. I think it was just too much energy, but they would erupt into spasmodic violence all the time and then the clash came on and of course the clash were were the ultimate punk band and they just like to see again that energy and that mayhem and you know when you're when you're like what 13 14 whatever it was really really exciting so that was one of the first ones another one that was really memorable uh, for reasons that i won't explain on the air uh, was uh, bob marley at dailyman park in 1980 and again i was still in school Um, And it was like Bob Marley was, you know, of course, it's Bob Marley. And in those days, concerts were such haphazard affairs almost. But he got out there in Daily Man Park and he played a blinder. And then, oh, you know, I mean, they're, they're like Merle Haggard. Another one that really meant a lot was. Um, I was always a huge Merle Haggard fan. To me, he's the ultimate country singer. He was the real deal. Other country singers, actually, not that I'm glamorising a criminal record, but, you know, Johnny Cash and those guys, they were never actually in prison. Merle Haggard was. He did a good long stretch for armed robbery. But anyway, he came out and he was just, he toured for 50 years. I saw him a dozen times, but I saw his very last concert, which he played at the most magnificent old ballroom, the Oakland Paramount very close to where he was born in Bakersfield in California. And he played it. It was February 13, 2016. And he died just a couple of weeks later. It was his final ever gig. And like, I hate people take photographs at gigs. You know, I think it's, I just listen to the music. But I did take a photo. And it's weird because it there's this. I'm the world's worst photographer. But there's this weird sort of light all around him. It was just a, a, a freakish coincidence. But it does look sort of slightly uh, no, I won't say paranormal, but anyway, he played that night. He had lung cancer in both his lungs. He sang, his voice was as clear as a bell, and he played for two and a half, three hours, and it was the most phenomenal concert. And you really got a sense that he knew this was the last one as well, and he was going out. In style, And I think of all the concerts I've seen, that's one that I was really, really glad to be there for. But then there were the festivals. It was like Glastonbury, 1985, Ian Jury, the Smiths, Elvis Costello. Hold on, Um, hold on.
1: I have to to call you there for a second because you said in your notes, that's all you remember of it, which is possibly telling because (laughs) we checked and they didn't play Glastonbury in 1985. It was 1984, but you're entitled to a year old, I I suppose.
2: Do you know what? I'm always getting the years mixed up I was there in 85 as well. We used to go. I lived in London then and Glastonbury was the highlight of the year. And it was all... Um, it was it was mayhem, but fantastic mayhem. And again, it was much smaller than about 25,000 people might have been there. We thought it was huge, uh, but it was it was a much smaller event. And you could really get up close to the the, the uh, different gigs and, and the different, you know, see the different artists. And, and you know, and as I say, like you brought a tent. That, that was it. I mean, you still do that. But it was it was pre-lamping camping. It was pretty damn basic, but fantastic. Um, let's see who else would I would I recommend Hank Williams the third and Reverend Horton Heat in in Austin. I mean he's Hank Williams' um, grandson, the the guy in the middle, Hank Williams Jr. dreadful dreadful waste of talent on that one. But uh, Hank Williams the third was is phenomenally talented and a brilliant live performer. And that was a, another really memorable gig. I remember seeing Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, Waylon Jennings, and Willie Nelson in the Traveler's Friend in Mayo, and it was. The best fun ever. Kieran Kavanagh was the promoter at the time. And I think Kieran always enjoyed the gigs as much as anyone who went to them. And, and we all went down there. And uh, Johnny Cash's um, bus ran over one of the cars in the car park. It just rolled over it and flattened it, belonging to Vinnie Hand, who worked with Kieran Kavanagh. And there was a big party after the gig. And the Traveller's Friend is again, it's a, a kind of, it was a ramshackle sort of a place, but it was brilliant. And it was one of those memorable concerts. Uh, New Orleans Jazz Festival. I recommend to any of the listeners if they get a chance to go, just go. It's 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 changed a little bit, but it's still fantastic. And the other one, Matt, Pam's farewell concert in Wembley, nineteen eighty-six. What? absolutely brilliant <laughs> it was fantastic
1: that, that um, yeah, is just so there... out there by comparison with everything else you've been telling us about
2: oh no 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 like the thing was there there was i was always really into country music and punk music and then just anything else that you liked and we loved wham but i remember when i lived in london uh, i was living i think in brixton at the time you had to pick your band it had to be either a whammy or a gerani so you could like Duran Duran, but you if you did you were out of the wham gangs. So. So I, I was definitely in the Wham gang. And then more recently, Guns N' Roses at the Forum in L.A., uh, 2019 December. I had the worst flu of my life and a friend of mine got two tickets um, as a surprise for me for Christmas. And I didn't want to go. And he said, you're going. There were five hundred dollars each. So I said, so and they played for about three and a half hours. And it was brilliant. The temperature about one hundred and six. But I do you were remember hallucinating
1: then, probably we're hallucinating know, for natural reasons for the first time at a concert.
2: <laughs> exactly. And then Nick Cave. Um, I, I've seen again at the first time I saw him was when he was in the birthday party. Um, And that was at the Electric Ballroom in Camden. I think it was 1984 or thereabouts. It was the early 80s. And also at the Ace Theatre in Brixton in 1982. And I think it was at the Ace Theatre. The birthday party was, I mean, as a live band, they, they would just erupt on stage. And again, so much sort of... I wouldn't even characterize it as violence as more of an explosion of energy. There would be um, a friend, Nick Cave used to walk along the front row um, in cowboy boots and he's become the sort of elder statesman of, of- Really good songwriting. Now he's I think he's sixty one or sixty two, but back in his twenties, you know he was he's always been a brilliant performer. But he would he would run along the front of the stage and kick people in the heads in the front row, which which now is something you'd probably get sued for. But I remember one guy who I knew actually at the gig grabbed his foot and yanked him into the crowd and and proceeded to punch him in the face several times. So it was that kind of craziness. And as I said, I'm not advocating it, but I think the music <laughs> and the energy made everything. So Okay, but I need to take a break. But before we get to the break, we asked
1: you also for band and artists and you've mentioned most of them along the way. But you also picked out this particular artist, which surprised us a little bit. Let's hear a bit of Cardi B. Stunning. I like shining, I like million-dollar deals. Where's my pen, Bitch, I'm signing. I like those Balenciagas, oh. the ones that look like socks. I like going to the jeweler. I put rocks all in my watch. I like sexes from my exes when they want a second chance. I like proving niggas wrong. I do what they say, I can't. They call me body, party, banging body, spicy mommy, hot tamale, hotter than a samali. Burn, go Hop up the stool, jump in the coupe.
2: Cardi B. Ah, oh, she's fantastic. You know, I I spend a lot of time in LA now, and you cannot live in LA. And I, I was always really into some rap music like I love Public Enemy, NWA, um, like a lot of that, Dr. Dre, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, all of those I always listen to. And then I got to LA and I was going, who is this? Because I think she's so talented. Her lyrics are so sassy. She's so tough. Um, she's just, she really is phenomenal. And her her. Boyfriend on off husband. I'm not sure what Outcast is in a band called Migas which I saw live in L. A. And oh my God, rappers as well, They're phenomenal. So I, I think in a way you can't you can't just listen to the same music you listened to in the 90s or the early 2000s. You know, you, you hear new stuff and you get and she's she's the the honestly I think one of the most exciting artists that I've heard in the last couple of years. Okay,
1: I'm looking forward to Marion when you write finally your memoirs. I think it could be volumes of them telling the stories of all the people that you've met over the years. But when it comes to reading, what do you go for?
2: Uh, my favourite author, I think, uh, has been for a long time, Cormac McCarthy. I, I just think that he is a phenomenal, he's such a beautiful writer. I, I read the Border Trilogy, which which is all the pretty horses, uh, the crossing and cities of the plain, uh, which are all based in Texas. Uh, and I, I've spent quite a lot or misspent, I should probably say, quite a lot of time in Texas. And I remember getting there and, oh, my God, the the writing, it it, it was so. And the interesting thing about him is I don't believe he's any kind of a, a horseman or he's certainly not a cowboy. He grew up in, in somewhere in New England. But, you know, there's always this debate about authenticity and who can write the story. And I defy anyone to capture that West Texas spirit and and the landscape and and the the, the border you know the, and the tensions and and the you know but along the border better than he does. He's probably better known for No Country for Old Men, which was made into a. Terrifying film, I thought, with uh, Javier Bardem, and also um he's you know movie. he's written so st- brilliant movie, brilliant book. Um, I mean he can be quite ap- apocalyptic and quite dark, Blood Meridian, some of his other books. But the Border Trilogy is is more about passion and young love and horses, and it's it, it, they're beautiful books, they really are. And, and the city's the Plain, oh my God, it's the final part, just the most heartbreaking book you could read, and a short book. Uh, Philip Roth, I love as well. I think he really captures America. Chinua Achebe, Things Fall Apart. I I remember reading that book. It's heartbreaking. Now, Rian Milan, um, who wrote My Traitor's Heart, that book I remember reading, and years later I was in South Africa, and it was at the time apartheid was ending, and I was interviewing F. W. de Klerk, and I met a guy there called Adrian Gardner, who was one of the billionaires who had done very, very well out of apartheid, but he was also a pragmatist and realised, look, the time is up. We're we're heading over a cliff. We've got to end apartheid. So he went to the clerk and was prevailed upon him with several other businessmen as well. You know, it wasn't for humanitarian reasons. It was it was business. And uh, anyway, Adrian um, had a guy called Danny Milan working for him, who was Rian's brother. And I had dinner with Danny one night, and Danny was a, a pretty senior in the South African Defence Forces, and uh, he really regretted what he had done and the divisions in the family and the atrocities that he carried out. And he was quite, you know, honest about it. And I remember it was so intense. I read that book several years before I met Danny Milan down in South Africa. And you really saw the tragedy and, and just in so many levels, the way that families were destroyed, the way that you know whole black communities were destroyed and 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 then the guilt that was left with these SDF guys and then people like Ryan milan who who i don't think was ever reunited with his family and and you know again, it, it's a it's a book that tells a much bigger story and a and a much more tragic story so yeah i but again i read i read anything like at the moment i i love michael Connolly. he's he writes books based in la and their crime books uh, oh, the and Bosch they're part books are the up. best
1: are they Aren't fantastic? they
2: fantastic? You know, I, I He's been a guest on the and,
1: last word as well. We were delighted to have him in the studio once. Oh say. wow.
2: That that's yeah. I think he's just a superb crime writer, but to get again to get the flavour, much as Cormac McCarthy does with, with Texas, to get the flavour of LA, it, it, there's no better writer, I think.
1: Okay. And you also nominated one Irish writer, so we're going to have oh, Todd McCabe reading from The Butcher Boy. Fantastic. When
0: I was a young lad twenty or thirty or forty years ago I lived in a small town where they were all after me on account of what I'd done and Mrs. Nugent. I was hiding out by the river in a hole under a tangle of briars. It was a hide me and Joe made. Death to all dogs who enter here, we said. Except us, of course. You could see plenty from the inside, but no one could see you. Weeds and driftwood and everything floating downstream under the dark archway of the bridge. Sailing away to Timbuktu... Good luck now, Weeds, I said. Then I stuck my nose out to see what was going on. I was thinking about Mrs. Nugent standing there crying her eyes out. I said, sure, what's the use in crying now, Nugent? It was you caused all the trouble. If you hadn't poked your nose in, everything would have been all right. And it was true. Why would I want to harm her son, Philip? I liked him. The first day he came to the school, Joe says to me, Did you see the new fellow? Philip Nugent is his name. Oh, I says, I'll have to see this. He had been to a private school and he wore this blazer with gold braid and a crest on the breast pocket. What do you make of that, says Joe? Oh boy, I said.
1: That's brilliantly read as well by Papa McCabe, isn't it?
2: Ah, uh, You know, he's... Uh, I interviewed him years and years ago he's he's fantastic that the butcher boy is uh, it's just a masterpiece I think that th- yeah. there's no other way to describe it of humor and heartbreak and compassion and and you know it's it's such a beautiful wonderful book and he has written so many great things I remember him saying there's no point in writing a book unless you've really got something to say and because he, he hasn't written that many books and I I, I kind of got and I thought like if you only wrote one book, and he's written several more, and it was The Butcher Boy, you would, you would probably die very happy. And, you know, can't say enough good things about it. Wonderful book. Te-
1: television. You mean, as a teenager, clearly you were out all the time. Did you
2: ever get a chance to watch television <laughs> that formed you? Well, there was... <laughs> There was a lot of fake babysitting that went on and so we could go to these concerts <laughs> that we weren't supposed to be at. But no, I didn't do a lot. When I was very young, I remember watching a TV series called The Virginian and it was a, a sort of a Western series and I used to shriek to be allowed to stay up to watch it. And, and my dad would always give in eventually and let me stay up and watch it. And I think that was where I got the, I love the American West and I love the, the literature of it. And I love the music. And I think that was what started it. There was a hero, this guy called Trampus, uh, who, who was the, the cowboy lead in it. And, uh, and honestly, I think that I, if I'd never seen The Virginian, I might have escaped a lot of close shaves around the West of America, but I wouldn't have missed them. Uh, and then another one was The High Chaparral because this is back in the days of black and white telly. You know, you, you had a, 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 two stations maybe. I remember getting BBC and watching Top of the Pops and, oh my God, the excitement of it all. Uh, but I didn't watch a lot of telly. No, I, I really, and only... Recently, I think in the last, 10 The Sopranos is, to my mind, still the, the best of, of all of the the binge watching TV you can do. I remember when it was on HBO, back in the early 2000s. I think it was, and it was the only time I was living in New York at the time. It was the only time we would all go home in New York on Sunday night to see The Sopranos because then you had to wait every week for the next episode, and just so brilliant. Um, Love episodes Because it just makes me laugh I think Matt LeBlanc Is brilliant in it um, Love in the thick of it Anything by Armando Anucci. I think he's just fantastic Veep as well And I just On my sister's recommendation Started binging Call my agent A couple of months ago Absolutely loved it Hilarious So that's the That's the telly lot That's short
1: Okay well let's hear Let's hear a little bit though From the Sopranos
0: The priest spent the night here What happened? Nothing Where was Anthony he was uh, sleeping over at Jason's. The priest spent the night here. Nothing happened. And you're telling me this because? You might hear something. Take it the wrong way. His car was out front all night. You know what? This is too fucked up for me even to think about. What would you guys do for 12 hours? Play uh, Name That Pope? He gave me communion. Oh, I bet he gave you communion.
1: Excuse me. <laughs> James Gandolfini <laughs> and Ed Falco in a scene from <laughs> The Sopranos. Favorite movie? You, we, you've only, you haven't given us too many movies. Quickly go through them though, and then we, we have a clip from whatever happened to Baby Jane.
2: Uh... That's my favourite all time movie. And I have to tell you very quickly, I, I saw that when I was very young. It scared the life out of me. It's kind of outrageous. It was 1962. It, um, it was made. Uh, Bette Davis and Joan Crawford, who legendarily hated each other. And when they exchanged slaps in that movie, they, apparently the slaps were very real. But I saw it when I was very small. It terrified me. Then I uh, for I was sort of bed bound for a couple of months um, God it was in the 90s um, because I was ill and my younger sister came to take care of me and we used to reenact the Baby Jane movie every day and and there's this god awful song in it, a, a, a child singer who sings about her dead father and we used to sing it at the top of our voices, neither of us being particularly good at singing and there were people in the office downstairs, I was living in Balls Bridge at the time, up to the American Embassy and they came up and pleaded with us said would you stop singing? We just stop singing that awful song. But the film, on a more serious note, it's a really, it's very funny in parts. It's very dark. But it says so much about Hollywood and fame and in particular the price of child stardom. And we've seen that manifest so okay. many times in so many ways. So Before we
1: talk about the other movies, let's hear a clip from it.
2: Sure. Our uh, financial position is such that we just, uh, we can't afford to have uh, plenty of money invested, I know. Yes,
0: yes, that's quite true, but some of those investments uh, aren't paying much when did our business manager tell you all this
3: early last week I think he didn't call here last week I know that too no we, we
2: didn't actually speak on the telephone he um he wrote me a letter he didn't write you any letter either there hasn't been a letter from his office yes Jane and... there has oh you're a liar you're just a liar you always were Bird he never wrote you any letter and never called you on the phone telling you to sell the house. You called him
0: four weeks ago and told him to sell it.
2: I did nothing of the sort.
3: Don't you think I know everything that goes on in this
2: house? You've been spying on me. <laughs> what do you think? You are disgusting. After all I've done for you, you spy on me. When all I'm trying to do is help. Who are you trying to help, Blanche? What are you planning to do with me when you sell sold the house? What you have in mind? Some nice little
1: place where they could look after me? And if you didn't know it was dramatic, the music would tell you. That's Joan Crawford and <laughs> that's, Betty that's Davis from whatever happened to Baby Jane. Listen, we're nearly out of, we are out of time, Mary McCone, so quickly, tell us one of the movies you had on the list
2: uh heaven's gate michael cimino so underrated i when it came out it was slated sort of while ago um on the big screen uh, in in uh, los angeles it's still a magnificent film it's just fantastic blades of glory will ferrell i just love it, it, just, <laughs> it, it just it just it kills me um bong hu uh, yo the P- parasite 2019 brilliant, brilliant film armando annucci the death of stalin oh brilliant. my god he, prophetic and he wrote it all before the Trump era. And it's like a satire of the Trump era. It's it's phenomenal so that, that, that's the, uh, the very okay. quick round uh, of the movie unfortunately
1: <laughs> I don't have time to get to the musicals and plays and podcasts because we've been talking so much okay. in the time that we had available to us Mary McKeown as ever great to have you with us here on The Last Word and today my film. pleasure uh, enjoy you. your trips around the states I know you're going somewhere in Florida at the weekend which you'll be talking to us about next week on The Last Word you might even look up I Cal when you're will. down there as well alright that's as it for today's programme <laughs> Okay, oh, right you can Tell us next week
2: the last word with Matt Cooper listen live on air from 4:30 weekdays on today FM